Father, I pray this morning you would speak to us through your word. We thank you for your beautiful word and for your power. We love you, Lord. Have your way. Mess us up, Holy Ghost, in Jesus' name. Amen. And today, what I'm speaking about, this topic is so vital for all of us, myself included, to be practicing as Christians. And what happens is if we don't put it into practice, we can really stall in our growth in God. And without practicing this thing, some believers have actually come to a complete standstill. They've stalled. They've got stuck in their walk with God. And unless we face this thing and address it, it can become a huge obstacle for us. So this morning we're talking about forgiving. And my title is The Freedom of Forgiveness. Because forgiveness really brings freedom. You know, Jesus took our place on the cross and he paid with his own blood all the price for all of our sins. So now the good news is we're forgiven if we ask him. And that's a good feeling, isn't it? Hallelujah. Don't you just love being forgiven? But today we're actually focusing on us forgiving someone else who has hurt us. Oh, it's not quite as exciting. (laughs) More like a down buzz right there. And I've been so enjoying going to Alpha and um, helping Alan run that. And this week I heard a quote that C.S. Lewis said from his book, Mere Christianity, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. It's a bit like that, isn't it? We've actually got to learn and practice this, learning to forgive quickly. It's just a, a reflex, a response. I'm a Christian, so I forgive. Now, I know in a room this size, we will have people who have been through huge pain in their lives, abuse, divorce, betrayal, and they have a lot to forgive. And they've had to walk through a lot of forgiveness in their journey. Others may have minimal pain and so haven't had to exercise much forgiveness yet. (laughs) Maybe you haven't been alive very long. (laughs) But at some stage, we will all be done wrong. And we're going to sing the Somebody Done Me Wrong song, even in church, even by a Christian, even in a Christian school, even by a pastor. And we can have sky-high expectations. Well, now here I am, I'm in a church, and I'm surrounded by Christians, and they're all loving people, so surely they'll all love me, and nothing will ever go wrong. We can have these high expectations. But actually, it's really just a matter of time (laughs) before you will have something that you have to forgive. Because wherever there are people, there are going to be toes stepped on and offenses taken. And often it's expectations we have that are unreal or too high or not communicated. Alan always uses the example about a relationship and this guy and girl and they start going out. Maybe they're teenagers and um, the girl's thinking, oh, we're going to hang out like five nights a week and he's going to call me every morning and he's going to message me every lunchtime. It's going to be amazing. He's thinking, oh, I'll give her a call once a week. I'm the man. And so they have these different expectations. So right now, this is set up for disappointment. She is set up for disappointment. She is set up for offense and then unforgiveness unless she practices some forgiveness. (laughs) But I'm not preaching about communication today. We're talking about getting freedom from forgiving. So we all need to learn how to forgive and do it often. 
sometimes daily. Now, today I'm not here to belittle your pain, but I am here to tell you that forgiveness sets us free. And many of us have experienced this. This is why Jesus tells us to do it so we can live free. We heard about Ash's awesome freedom prayer. And I I love freedom prayer. I've had five and they really do set us free. And I really want to encourage you to have one if you haven't. And if you have had one, you haven't had one for at least a year, have another one. Unforgiveness, the opposite of forgiveness. It's a prison that we lock ourselves in as long as we refuse to forgive. And for the duration that we are refusing to forgive that person who hurt us, we're actually forever chained to that person who hurt us. And in this day and age, people get so easily offended. But forgiveness is such a liberating thing. And forgiveness sets us free forever. This is often what happens. Like, you think, okay, I have to forgive. I'm a Christian. I've got to forgive. The Bible says I've got to forgive. So I'm going to forgive that person. You start thinking about them and the thing they did to to you and you get even madder than you were before. And you think this forgiveness thing, it's not working. I'm trying. What we've got to do is just give over all the emotions to the Lord and just make a decision. I choose to forgive. Hands up if you're married. It's really important to learn to forgive if you're married (laughs) because you're living so closely with someone. Now, if you're not married, you'll probably be living with your family or flatmates. If you are living with someone else, if you're living by yourself, it's easy as, I assume, because you haven't got people in your face annoying you all the time. (laughs) But if you've got other people in your house... We're going to have to be into this forgiveness thing all the time. Forgive your flatmates when they leave the toilet seat up or squeeze a toothpaste tube wrong. Or forgive your parents or your kids when they irritate you. Forgiveness is liberating. Now, if we're married and we don't forgive often, there will be a problem right there. Because what happens is your partner, your spouse does something and it annoys you. And if you don't forgive, it can lead to I've heard some people have days of stony silence. But this is not how Jesus wants us to do marriage. He wants us to be quick to forgive. So whether you're married or not, let's decide now, I'm going to be a believer who is quick to forgive. This is who I am. It's my identity. I determine I will be a person who is quick to forgive. I'm going to be quick to forgive. Say it with me. I'm going to be quick to forgive. Tell the person on the other side. I'm going to be quick to forgive. Tell the one on the other side so they don't feel left out. I'm going to be quick. Amen. The Bible says in Colossians 3.13, second half of it says, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This is Paul teaching us as believers. This is what Christians do when we're offended. We forgive. And with social media and in this day and age of opinions, there's a lot of offended people out there. And you believe something different to me, so I'm offended. And I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Or I'm going to tell you off on my keyboard. One of the many reasons I'm not on social media. I would probably get into fights and that would not be good. Um, Now, we're obviously not going to try and offend people on purpose because that would be foolish because if people are offended, they clam up and their heart becomes hard and their spirit closes to us. Like Proverbs says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. So we're not going to go out and try and offend people on purpose. But the gospel is an offense. It's a stumbling stone to many people. 
So when we share the gospel, they may just become offended because they don't want to believe it. We have to try and do it in a winsome way. If we offend someone, the relationship can shut down. It can even be ended. Sometimes that happens without you trying to offend someone. They get offended and we get an offense, which can lead to unforgiveness, which if it's not remedied, leads to bitterness, which leads to a grudge, which leads to hatred. And these are not great emotions to harbor in our hearts as Christians. You know, and then what happens with that is you end up with generations of people who hate each other. They can't even remember why. Like into tribal warfare, like the Scots and the clans, and I hate those McPhersons. And there was this whole story, I didn't look it up, but they, how one clan pretended to be making friends with another clan. They went for dinner, and halfway through the dinner, they got up and stabbed them all and killed them. And, you know, like we don't even know how these things start. We've got to exercise a bit of forgiveness. Well, these things can become generational. Offenses can sever friendships. They can poison our hearts. Unforgiveness and offense builds walls between us. It brings division and disunity in the body of Christ. It can even cause divorce. It can even split families. It can even split churches. And this offense and unforgiveness is the number one tool used by the devil. When someone does something, says something to us, so mean, and it hurts us. Maybe it was really mean and it really hurt. But right then, at that moment when we're hurt, God releases grace to us. Supernatural grace, which enables us to forgive that person. But often what happens is we go and tell our friend, oh, did you, can you believe what she said to me? And then they pick up our offense because they love us. And they, they haven't had grace. We've had grace back here to forgive. So we've got to exercise that grace. If we will not forgive others, and we will not show them the grace that God's given us, then what happens is our hearts harden and we end up taking an offense and it takes root in our heart. And there's problems right there. This is often why people will go from marriage to marriage to marriage, from job to job to job, from church to church to church, from city to city to city, even from country to country to country. And they take offense after offense and they hold grudge after grudge towards others. Not how the Lord wants us to live. It is vital we deal with this unforgiveness, with this offense straight away by becoming a believer who who forgives quickly. Otherwise, we can get a stronghold of offense in our lives. Now, here's a great reason to forgive. Researchers cite a physiological reason for forgiveness, health. Let's camp on that for a bit. At Hope College in Michigan, USA, researchers measured heart rates, sweat rates, and other responses of people, of subjects who are asked to remember their past hurts and grievances. So they're sitting there thinking, oh, yes, I remember when he did that to me. And so they're measuring what happens to their heart and all of these things when they're doing that. They found that both their blood pressure and heart rates increased and muscle tensions were higher. Their stress responses were greater as they recalled those situations of offense and unforgiveness. So forgiveness is good for our health. Come on, people, our lives are depending on this. Here's another verse, Matthew 6, 14 to 15. Jesus said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh Uh-oh. Does anyone out there have sins they need the Father to forgive them from? (laughs) 
Man, that's a, that's a freaky scripture right there. Earlier in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said in verse 12, Forgive us our sins, just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Now, one commentary there I read stated that the literal meaning is, Forgive us our sins in proportion to how much we forgive those who have sinned against us. Hello, if we have received forgiveness, we are obliged to then hand it out. We have received it, we've got to dish it out. We can't hoard it, it's got to flow. We've received it, we've got to give it out. And our refusal to forgive can open the door of our hearts to bitterness and resentment. And if we are carrying bitterness and resentment, we are very difficult to live with. We are very difficult to love, and it's very difficult for God to use us. Here's a quote from William Barclay, a Bible commentator from last century. He said, human forgiveness and divine forgiveness are inextricably intercombined. Our forgiveness of our fellow men and God's forgiveness of us cannot be separated. They are interlinked and interdependent. Forgiveness is a two-way deal. Tell the person beside you, forgiveness is a two-way deal. We get it from God, we've got to give it out to others. Here's another scripture Jesus said, Mark 11, verse 25 and 26. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. We see here that unforgiveness has a few friends, bitterness, resentment, and holding a grudge. So if we let unforgiveness move in to the house of our heart, these other things turn up and move in too. They're flatmates. And they're all residing in here together. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, holding a grudge. Then hatred, he'll come and couch surf for a while as well. And again, we're talking about these things are bad for our health. Here's another quote from Minerth and Meyer's book, How to Beat Burnout. They said, they talk, the authors talk about how resentment is far more responsible for burnout than overwork. Resentment is far more responsible for burnout than overwork. This is what they said. Quote, in our counseling ministries, we've seen literally hundreds of examples that verify a close connection between bitterness and resentment and the experience of symptoms that we call burnout. Bitterness leads to burnout, and freedom from bitterness is necessary for effective recovery from burnout. And what's the freedom from bitterness? It's forgiving. Forgiving. Now, here's a little question for all of us. I've got four questions. How do we know if we have truly forgiven that person who hurt us? We're going to check our hearts. True forgiveness means, number one, Let's be asking ourselves these questions, me too. We bear no malice toward the person who hurt us. We bear no malice. Number two, we do not plot revenge. (laughs) We do not plot revenge. Number three, we don't talk about the hurt over and over. We don't talk about it over and over. And number four, we do not rejoice in their downfall. And the book of Proverbs condemns that if we rejoice in someone else's downfall. Number one, we bear no malice to the one who hurt us. Number two, we do not plot revenge on them. Number three, we do not talk about the hurt over and over. Number four, we do not rejoice in their downfall. This is a little test for all of us. 
So we have something we need to do. The responsibility is on us to choose to forgive. And then God's forgiveness flows into us. There is a condition attached here when we read these scriptures that I've read out from Matthew and Mark. There's a condition attached. If I want God to forgive me for all of my sins, and there were a lot, then I have to extend that same forgiveness to other people. But if we have not put things right with people, then we cannot put things right with God. Now I'm going to read a main text. I'm going to read it off the back screen. Matthew 18 verse 21 to 35. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. So we're going to pick it up. Actually, I can't read it off the back screen, can I? I'm going to need a phone. Sorry. I was forgetting that I hadn't put the whole thing on there. Um, Matthew 18 NIV, please. This is quite a freaky parable here that Jesus told, and he told it in response to a question that Peter asked him, how many times should I forgive? And um, Peter was thinking, oh, maybe one or two. I'll be really righteous then. I'll be so holy. Um, But no, Jesus said quite a few, actually, 70 times seven. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or other versions, 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. That is like millions of dollars, like unattainable. We could never repay it, is basically what he's saying. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and kids and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, a servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, a small amount, way, way smaller than the other amount, quite easily able to be paid back. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Which is interesting, it's what that servant had said to the master. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. That means bad for all the young people. You wicked servant. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now that word jailers in the NIV, in the King James it says tormentors. The verse is on the screen. The master, that's a picture of Jesus. In other versions it says a king or the master turned over his servant to the jailers, to the tormentors, the King James says. The New King James says the torturers. The Living Bible says the torture chamber. The Amplified says the jailers and torturers. This is a picture of demons. 
We see here that our duty of forgiveness is an urgent one because unforgiveness tortures us. And if we refuse to forgive other people who have hurt us, then we open the door to the tormentors, the torturers, the demonic realm. And if we will not forget, forgive, we are opening ourselves up even to demonic influence. The rabbis taught, the Hebrew rabbis taught, you must forgive three times. Peter's saying, well, how much should I forgive? Even seven, he thought, is being so generous, so holy. Jesus said, no, 70 times seven, meaning there is no limit to our forgiveness. We have received vast amounts of forgiveness, vast amounts, like that big amount of money that man was given in the parable, vast amounts. We could never repay it. We've received so much forgiveness for all our sins. So we now have vast amounts to give out. We've received big, we can give it out big. We have a never-ending supply of forgiveness because it all comes from him, the grace and the forgiveness. And he is never-ending. And we've been given, forgiven so much. So in comparison, what we have to forgive others of is so small, pitifully small. Do we really understand how much we have been forgiven? Do we really know what it costs Jesus? Do we really grasp what it was that he did for us? We were in darkness. Now we're in the light. We were following Satan's ways, but now we're following Jesus. We were on our way to hell, but now we're on our way to heaven. You know, the sin of humankind brought about the death of God's own holy, sinless son. And that was my sin. That was your sin. And we have been forgiven a debt which we can never, ever repay. Not in this lifetime or the next. Let's not ever forget that. We are all debtors in debt to God. We are all sinners, but he forgave it all and set us free. But it is not enough for us to only receive his forgiveness. We must experience his forgiveness in our hearts so it humbles us and makes us gentle and forgiving so we can give it out to others. Now, we can never earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. We could never earn his forgiveness anyway. It's a free gift. But once we've received it and experienced his forgiveness, we must show it to others. And the more we experience his forgiveness, the more we will have a readiness to forgive others. You know, it takes humility to forgive. If we're proud, we think, how dare they do that to me? And we're more likely to not forgive and to hold on to that hurt in our heart and keep a little list. It's like an IOU in our back pocket. And if someone does something to you, you're like, for that? Get your IOU and write it down with the date and the name and the address and the time. Put it back. I'm not going to forget or forgive. But that attitude is not what we're about because we're believers because we've received forgiveness. And I love how Jesus doesn't just tell us to forgive. Forgive! Oh, that's not a Jesus voice. Forgive. He helps us do it. He helps us to do it. As Christians, as believers, we have the ability to forgive others because we have received his forgiveness. Now, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a huge key in forgiving others because the Holy Spirit helps us to forgive. He helps us see others the way he sees them. We get God's perspective of them. Now, if you've ever been through a divorce, you've been through a lot of pain. If you've ever been through your parents' divorce, you've been through a divorce too. I've been through a divorce. It wasn't with Alan. It was with my parents. It was ugly. 
And there was a person in my family that as a teenager, I hated them. Now, remember, I didn't know the Lord, so no judgment here, eh? <laughs> I really did. I, I truly hated that person. And stuff had gone down in our family breakup that was very bad, and it was very painful, and it should not have happened. And so I had decided, I hate you, and I will never forgive you. But then I met Jesus, and I was forgiven from all of my many sins, and I was baptized in water, like in this tank, but it was in another church, in another city, in another tank. And I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit showed me this person I hated in my family from his perspective. Oh, it looks so different when you see through God's eyes. And I saw someone broken, incapable of giving the love that I needed. And so I realized it was futility to expect it from that person because it wasn't coming from them. They were not able to give it. So I stopped expecting it from that person. Again, expectations. And I looked to the Lord instead for all the love I needed, all the healing I needed. And with God's help, I chose to forgive that family member. And when I forgave that person, the grace and the love just came flooding in. Now, I didn't go up to that person and say, I used to hate you. But now I forgive you. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. Because I didn't think that would help the relationship. I just said it to the Lord. I forgive that person. The Holy Spirit then filled me with his love and grace. Which overflowed through me to that person. And God healed our relationship. And today it's better than it's ever been in the 35 plus years since that spectacular divorce. If we have bitterness in our hearts and an unforgiving spirit, then we have erected a barrier between us and God. The language God speaks is love and forgiveness. And if we want to commune with God, we've got to speak his language of love and forgiveness. He does not speak the language of bitterness and unforgiveness and grudge and hatred. There are three things that shut us down spiritually. These three things which are sins, if we have them in our hearts, we must repent of them and turn away from them or they'll shut us down. We need to ask the Lord to cleanse us from them. Then we can speak to God and he can speak to us. So I'm talking about bitterness, resentment and unforgiveness. If we have these things, we've got to repent and turn away from them and ask the Lord to cleanse us and help us. We are each responsible to steward our own heart and keep it free. If we walk away from these three things, bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness, then we can hear from the Lord again. And he can speak to us and we can speak to him. Now, forgiving someone does not mean you have to trust them again. We're foolish if we put a hand back in the blender. We're foolish if we're, if we're being burnt to put a hand back in the fire again. God is not asking us to do that. Forgiveness is surrendering this whole ugly deal, all the hurt to God and allowing him to bring justice at the right time. We need to relinquish this need for justice and vengeance to the Lord. So this, is, this whole deal today is actually a lordship issue. If he's really Lord, then we will let him bring justice for us at the right time. And he will. If we really know him, we believe he is good, he is faithful, he is just, he is loving. Now, it says in the Old and the New Testament, this verse, um, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Not vengeance is fine, says the Lord. 
That's Deuteronomy 32, 35. Again in Romans in the New Testament, 12 verse 19. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So we've got to leave it to God. We've got to trust him in this. And forgiving that person does not mean you will be best friends again. But it does mean if you see them walking down the street, you can look them in the eye and say, kia ora, without a problem. Because often what happens is we're walking down the street, we see them in the distance, we're like, oh no. And we dash into a shop and we're hiding in racks of clothes. And we realize you're, you're a male and it's a lingerie shop and this looks really dodgy. And you stick your head out from between the supersized uh, push-up bras. And you're like, has she gone yet? And you're looking really bad right there. We don't need to hide. We don't need to live in fear. We can live in freedom by forgiving. Forgiveness equals freedom. Here's a word picture. Forgiveness is a healing ointment. Keep applying it to the wound. Keep applying it every day and healing will come. Now, we've all heard this phrase, forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Now, this does not mean we completely forget the wrong that was done to us. But what it does mean is it goes to the back of our brain in a file in the memory. It's not dominating your thinking and your mind all day long. So we can still choose to recall it if we think back into our past deliberately. But it's moving it out of the forefronts of our minds so it's not dominating our thoughts. That's what forgiveness does. It, it means the pain and offense is no longer in charge of our mind. If the band could join me, please. You might say, well, I've tried to forgive, but the feelings of forgiveness just haven't come. I just want to say today, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is an act of our will. We make a decision. I will forgive that person who did me wrong. I'm going to tear up that little liar you with names, dates, and times that I have in my pocket that says, you owe me. And if we make that decision, then the feelings will eventually follow. And I've often heard forgiveness, and I've shared this before, as a word picture, it's like a train, the forgiveness train, not the peace train, like Cat Stevens said, it's a forgiveness train. So the engine of the train, the first part, is the decision. We make a decision to forgive. And then there's lots of carriages, and at the end is the caboose, the last carriage. That's the feelings. So we have the decision, and then we have the actions, and lastly, the feelings. The feelings follow the decision. We don't start with a feeling. We start with a decision, an act of our will. You may have to forgive that person several times. That's okay. Keep doing it. Keep doing the right thing. Keep doing what Jesus told us to do. You just say it in my mind. I forgive my brother. I forgive my ex-wife. I forgive my dad. I forgive my ex-business partner or whatever. It's not always appropriate to say it to their face. It can make things worse. It can lead to a fight. You know, some people try and do it to their face. They like go up and go, I used to really hate you, but because you really hurt me, but because now I've met Jesus, he's given me love, and so I now actually choose to forgive you. I mean, that can just sound arrogant. It doesn't always help your relationship. Just say it to the Lord, I forgive Bill. I forgive whoever it is. It may help to write it down like a letter, but don't send it. <laughs> Shred it or burn it afterwards. So often we don't want to face the forgiveness deal because it involves pain. But we have to revisit the pain in order to deal with it. Ignoring it is never a great strategy. I've used this illustration before with forgiveness. If we ignore forgiveness, it's like being in a swimming pool and you're holding this big beach ball under the water between your knees and you don't want anyone to see the beach ball because the beach ball is your unforgiveness. 
The beach ball is your pain and unforgiveness. And so you're trying to hold it under the water all the time. So no one sees it. Unforgiveness me? No. I'm all good. I don't have any. Oh, no. Pain? No. I'm sweet as. And we're holding this beach ball under the water. And um, one day, because it takes considerable energy to hide a beach ball under the water, one day at an unsuspecting moment when we're tired, it will pop up for all to see. There's my pain and unforgiveness that I denied and said I didn't have exploding in a dramatic fashion in front of everybody. It will come out. The Lord is helping us to forgive. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves for something we did. Sometimes we may even need to forgive God for something that we have blamed him for. I'm going to finish with this brief story. True story of Reverend Walter Everett who pastored a Methodist church in Connecticut in the USA in the 80s and 90s. One night he got a phone call. His son, who was 24, had been shot and murdered. He was so angry towards his son's killer. The anger raged through his life like a violent riptide. It grew even worse when a plea bargain resulted in a reduced sentence for the attacker. Reverend Walter said, "'My rage was affecting my entire life.'" And he thought, how am I ever going to let go of this anger? The answer came the first time he saw the murderer named Mike. Almost a year after his son Scott's death, Mike stood in court prior to his sentencing and said he was truly sorry for what he had done. Three and a half weeks later, on the first anniversary of Scott's death, I wrote a letter to Mike. I told him about my anger and I asked him some questions. Then I wrote, having said all that, I want to thank you for what you said in court. And as hard as these words are for me to write, I forgive you. He said it was the hardest thing he'd ever written or done. And then he wrote of God's love in Jesus and invited Mike to write back if he wished. Three weeks later, Mike's letter arrived. Mike said that when he'd read Walt's letter, he couldn't believe it. No one had ever said to him, I forgive you. That night, Mike knelt in his cell and prayed for and received the forgiveness of Jesus. Additional letters and correspondence led to regular visits in prison. They spoke of their growing relationship, each of them with the Lord. Later on, Reverend Walt spoke on Mike's behalf before a parole board, and he was given an early release. Um, About six years after his son was murdered, Reverend Walt was the officiating minister at Mike's wedding. And Mike and Walt have often spoken together in universities and churches and groups about the power of forgiveness. When asked about his early release, Mike said, it felt good, but I was already out of prison. God set me free when I asked for his forgiveness. So Mike got free. He was forgiven by Jesus. Walt got free, Reverend Walt, when he found forgiveness for his son's murderer. Let's stand this morning. You know, your barrier to spiritual growth right now may be that you have not yet forgiven someone. Your next step to growing in God may be to forgive that someone. Let's close our eyes. If you have been thinking about a particular person for the last 25 minutes and their face has been flashing through your mind, it may just be that God is speaking to you about your need to forgive that person today. In these last days, God is calling us to run fast for him. We can't run fast for him if we have burdens and chains around us that are slowing us down. This is a day for freedom right here.
I'm going to pray a prayer. If you know you need to forgive someone, why don't you put your hand up right now? Other people aren't looking around. The Lord is showing you. In fact, why don't, we, why don't we have the people, I want someone to stand with you. I don't want you to be alone. If your hand's up, why don't you come and someone's going to come and stand with you. Our prayer team have been praying on this for the last <clears throat> 24 hours or so. Why don't you come and we're going to pray. Jesus, thank you for your healing power that's here right now by your Holy Spirit in the room. Just come across here. It's okay. This is family. This is Fano. Ministry team, why don't you come? Leaders, why don't you come and stand with somebody? In Jesus' name. People are getting free today. You want every person who's up here to have a leader with them. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, right now we receive your grace and forgiveness afresh for all we've done. And right now, Lord, by your grace, we choose to forgive that person. I want you to do it in your mind right now. I forgive and put their name in. And you say it to the Lord. I forgive and put their name in. And Father, right now, I pray for the healing of Jesus to come into hearts. The healing of the Lord to sweep through every person. Lord, we would be free. We would run fast for you in these last days. We don't want to run with chains and burdens around us, tripping us up around our legs. We want to run free. We want to run free. We want to be walking down the street and be able to be free, to not hide in fear in some dodgy shop (laughs) under a rack of clothes. But we want to be free to say kia ora and look them in the eye. In Jesus' name, let's worship. Thank you, Jesus.